The scripture lesson for this morning is from the 28th chapter of Genesis, verses 10 through 19. Listen for the word of God. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder, a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring, and your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring." Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This summer, the sermons I've been giving come from passages in the book of Genesis that are designated by the lectionary for the Sunday on which I am giving them. So, so far in this series, we've taken a look at the story of creation, at Hagar and Ishmael, at Isaac and Rebekah. And last week, we looked at the beginnings of the conflict between Jacob and Esau when they fight one another in the womb even prior to their birth. But today we follow Jacob in an early episode of his adult life. When today's story opens, Jacob has already tricked his older twin brother Esau into handing over his birthright and has stolen Esau's blessing by fooling their blind and aging father, Isaac. In response, Esau vows Cain-like to kill Jacob. Their mother, Rebekah, warns Jacob to flee, and their father says, you need to find a wife as well so that you can produce an heir and inherit the family promise. Thus, Isaac and Rebekah tell Jacob to leave their home in Beersheba and journey to Haran, a city in the not-yet-received promised land. 
Now, on the journey, Jacob comes to a certain place, and he notices a sudden and premature fall of night. He who has heretofore only lived in tents finds a nearby rock, places it under his head, and under the open sky sleeps. In his sleep, Jacob dreams of a ladder that is resting upon the earth, but stretching into heaven. It's a ladder from which angels ascend and descend back to earth. Jacob receives a promise from God that has been given to his grandparents and his parents, namely the promise of land, descendants, and blessings for his family line. It is a promise that is now through this dream stamped with his name on it. And in his dream, perhaps above all else, the newly journeying Jacob receives a promise that God will be with him at all times. The beauty of these particular words is worth hearing again for all of us. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to the land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. It is a beautiful blessing for anyone to hear, let alone a person who is leaving home for the first time. Now Jacob awakens from this dream and he exclaims to the stars, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. And then the narrator tells us that Jacob is afraid, but Jacob is still able to say, how awesome is this place. And Jacob then builds an altar to commemorate the place and he names the altar Bethel, which means house of God. Beth is house and El is God. Now in a few minutes, Molly is going to sing a children's song, which is a Christianized version of this passage. And it focuses on the ladder. You may remember it. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder. We are climbing Jacob's ladder, soldiers of the cross. Every round goes higher, higher. Every round goes higher, higher. Every round goes higher, higher, soldiers of the cross. Children, do you love my Jesus? Children, do you love my Jesus? Children, do you love my Jesus? Soldiers of the cross. The version I have has two more verses, but I'll stop here because I don't want to upstage the solo. In studying for this sermon this week, I found no less than 15 aspects of Jacob's dream on which I could preach. And there are probably more. But I'll stop at three. I do want to dwell briefly on three elements of the story. 
these elements are not immediately apparent to us when we first read or hear the story. But they are embedded within the subtleties of the Hebrew language in which this story was written. And I don't know Hebrew, but I know enough to be able to read people who, who analyze the Hebrew. These elements have been uncovered by scholars and teachers who have poured over these texts for centuries, first by candlelight and later under electric light. Each of these elements render this story worthy of stopping by woods on a snowy evening to ponder both promises that we have to keep and the miles to go before we sleep. Let us pray. Lord, give us the capacity to hear this text in all its richness. And may it become God's word to us. Amen. So the first element that emerges for me in this story is praying in the dark. When the English translation reads, Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there for the night, the word that is translated came to can actually mean collided with. For as one scholar writes, the word suggests a dynamic object that is flying through space and coming towards us. This sense of suddenness is reinforced by the second line, because the sun had set. This is pluperfect tense, meaning an action in the past that started in the past and has been completed in the past. A more normal way of narrating the story might have been the sun set and Jacob decided to stay there for the night. But both by using the pluperfect tense and by the verb meaning collide, the narrator is setting a scene in which Jacob is traveling late in the afternoon, expecting a couple of more hours of sunlight, when suddenly night comes upon him and he is forced to stop exactly where he is. The force of the action is palpable, but mysterious. Thus Jacob, whom Genesis has previously previously described as a mild man, secure in his tents, is outside at night, sleeping with his head on a rock in a mysterious place in which God has suddenly caused darkness to descend. And then he has a dream in which he encounters God through a ladder, descending from the earth and stretching to heaven with angels ascending from the earth and descending. When Jacob responds to his dream by speaking to God, he becomes the first human being in the Bible to pray in the dark. An ancient Jewish scholar writes, it is as if God has turned out the lights so as to speak to Jacob and Jacob alone, like a king who calls for the lights to be extinguished so that he can speak to his friend in absolute privacy. 
Over the years, I have heard several parents say, some of the best conversations I've ever had with my kids, particularly when, when they were teenagers, occurred in the car. Sometimes the driving was at night and sometimes it was during the day, but the parents came to realize that there is a certain privacy and closeness in a closed and confined space of the car that can lead parent and teenager to talk, to talk seriously. This is true for more than parents and teenagers. Think of the bull sessions that you had in college and how many of them were in the confined space of a dorm room, sometimes in the darkness of night. Think of people who have fallen in love in the confined space of a walk at night. Think of the value of conversation late at night. Two heads on a pillow, looking up, or perhaps facing one another. Some of the most important things we hear or say with someone close occurs at night. It can be the same way with prayer. God turns the lights out on Jacob because he wants to talk and hear from Jacob alone. A long and deep conversation at the outset of a journey. And Jacob responds. He was the first human being to pray in the dark. Now, a second element of this passage that emerged from me, I'm calling the significance of place. In the ten short verses of our passage, the word place occurs six times. Jacob came to a certain place and stayed there for the night. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Jacob said, How awesome is this place? And he called that place Bethel, which means the house of God. In Jewish tradition, the word for place, Macomb, can even function as a metaphor for God. Now, Jewish tradition believes that the place in which Jacob halts and dreams to be Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is the place where Abraham, Jacob's grandfather, nearly sacrificed Isaac, Jacob's father. And it is thus a place of fear and of pain. It is believed to be the place where centuries later the temple was built. A place of sacrifice, of purity, of worship, of pilgrimage. And Jacob says, how awesome is this place. The centrality of place in this, in this passage, in this story, can lead us to ask questions of ourselves. What places 
are central to your life? What are the places to which we must journey to be reminded of who God is and of who we are? In what places have we received the promise that God will be with us wherever we go? And a deeper question. Indeed, assuming this is Mount Moriah, the place of Abraham's near sacrifice of Isaac, are there places of pain in our lives or in our families' lives to which we need to visit for resolution or for peace? I once knew a man named Kurt whose father had been shot down flying AC-47D spooky gunship over Laos on Christmas Eve in 1965. Now, Kurt was a toddler at the time. In 1977, 12 years later, his father's status was changed from missing in action to killed in action. His mother remarried, and Kurt's stepfather raised him throughout his teenage and young adult years. Now, when I knew Kurt, it was the mid-1990s, and he was in his late 30s. He was the father of two girls, and over 30 years had passed since his father's plane went down. When I knew him, Kurt decided to make a trip to Southeast Asia, searching for answers, perhaps a crash site, perhaps remains a slender chance that his father might still be alive. Kurt returned from his trip with few answers, with no remains, and with no 60-something father found free. But my sense of Kurt at the time was that visiting the place where his father had disappeared, though painful, brought Kurt some measure of peace. Several years later, now in 2001, a crash site was identified. And then over a decade later, in 2012, a smidgen of remains were found. All six crew members, including Kurt's father, who was a pilot, were buried at Arlington Cemetery on July 9th. 2012, 47 years after the plane went down. Perhaps Kurt was able to say, of 
that place of pain. Surely, the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. The final theme is less subtle but equally profound. I label it leaving home to find home. So far in Genesis, every major character that we have seen leaves home. Abraham and Sarah listened to the voice of God and set out at age 75 for a land that God would promise to show them when they come close to it. Later, a servant who has been instructed by God escorts Isaac to leave home until he encounters Rebekah, who upon their marriage becomes an agent of healing in Isaac's life. As a third generation patriarch, Jacob is also leaving home. Yet in this case, there is no divine prompting. There is no you know, agent that's been called by God to escort him. His father simply says, you need to find a wife. And his mother says, your brother's about to kill you. So Jacob leaves. On the first night that Jacob is away from home, he is stopped dead in his tracks by darkness. He sleeps on a stone. He dreams of a ladder. He receives a promise of God's presence. And he names the place, the house of God. As Aviva Zornberg writes, in order to, found the, to find the house of Israel, Jacob leaves the house of his parents. It is true that sometimes in order to find the house of God, we simply have to leave the house in which we were raised or leave at least significant patterns within it. If we will read the remainder of Jacob's story in Genesis, Jacob's journey through life is only beginning. It will entail over the next 20 years four wives, 13 children, and a wrestling match with an angel that will leave Jacob with a permanent limp. But after all of that, after that 20 years, Jacob will get to return home and reconcile with his brother. In order to find the house of God, sometimes we have to leave home. My friends, whether it's daylight or darkness, whether you are home or in the process of leaving home or in the process of coming home, whether you are estranged from your family or as close as you have ever been to them, may you know that the Lord is with you. And may the Lord take you Jacob-like to your true home. And when you arrive, when you recognize it, I hope you can say, the Lord is in this place. And I didn't even realize it. Amen.